Welcome to The Big Deal, where we unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Treadray, along with Andrew Montessi and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and much more. Subscribe to our show on your favourite podcast player and don't forget to sign up too at www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities. Welcome to another episode of The Big Deal. I'm Andrew Montesi, joined again by AFL legend Warren Treadray. G'day, Treaders. G'day, Monty. How are you? Plenty happening in the footy Mate, world, I'll tell you. there's a lot going on. So let's just start, jump straight into our weekly sports business wrap, because uh, as you say, there is a whole stack going on. So let's get straight into footy, where coaching has been turned on its head. But as we're recording right now, Gold Coast coach Stewie Jew has been sacked. What's going on, Treaders? Well, there's a report in the Herald Sun. Uh, there's obviously been a lot of pressure. Carolyn Wilson um, from uh, nine newspapers and footy classified who went pretty hard last Monday um, that he was probably not going to keep the job, didn't have the support. They put in a pretty good performance against Port for a half, but then conceded nine goals in the third quarter. It looks like um, whilst nothing official is out of the club, it's believed there's an 11.30 um, press conference. So I suspect that that's what will happen then. And as we know, everyone's been looking for who's going to take over from Damien Hardwick at Richmond. And I've got some information on how that's heating up. Um, the Gold Coast have now created another space. It is a forgiving world, this, or unforgiving world, should we say. Um, the AFL, they just keep rolling out. You think, well, we might have a year with no coaches gone. All of a sudden, one step down and one's gone. And we're just past the midway mark of the year. Yeah, we're going to get to the... Uh, coaching merry merry go round and what what this latest move means uh, for that, but uh, you mentioned Caro Wilson. Uh, it's it's a pretty interesting development because a, a war of words developed where Caro went has been going really hard for a while now, saying that it's imminent and that Jew's going to go. Interestingly, you don't see this often from coaches, but Stewie Jew pushed back. Uh, apparently had the support of the players, went really hard back. Um, and then and then even, I think it was before this this news broke, Caroline went hard again, kind of backing in her, uh, her inside knowledge. And then uh, she's been vindicated. So how do you, like, what does that mean in terms of the, the landscape where uh, these journos are able to come out? Um, and then, of course, she's actually been validated. Well, what it is, it tells you where the, the system sits. As soon as there's a disgruntled board member or senior official or CEO or, or someone um, who feels like Stuart Jews um, had enough, then they can create ways by telling a journalist. And clearly this person um, or persons, whoever she's spoken to, has pretty much said a decision's almost made. Um, they need to be you know, carefully go to go about it. And But what happens as soon as one person talks and everyone wants to shoot the journal, I've lived in that land, um, then it, it's it's go to the races. It comes out. So I feel sorry for Stuart Jew, a former teammate, really good fella. Um, he's had six years there. You know, his last um, finish was 12th, which is their equal best ever. So... What they're saying now, and I find this interesting simply because Damien Hardwick is who they want to get. They're old teammates. I'm not sure Damien would take Dewey's job unless he's long gone and been sacked, but certainly he wouldn't want DNA on the situation where you're going, oh, well, you've created for an old teammate to get moved on. I guess it's business, but there's a human element to this too. Um, Dewey spoke passionately, as you would. His CEO come out and back him. Everyone goes, oh, well, he's safe now. His CEO's backed him. What else is the CEO going to say? Oh, no, he's up against it. We're probably looking at sacking him and paying out his contract. So there's, there's word around that for 2024 he's got a contract, but with a lot of the senior coaching roles in the COVID loans, clearly Gold Coast is funded a lot by the AFL. Um, there's, there's word around that there could be a 50% termination. And if he's on about six hundred grand, it's a $300,000 payout. The AFL would foot the bill because they are footing a lot of the bills for Gold Coast and GWS, even though they're trying to work really hard to get their business up and going. Um, but the, the move is interesting. So either they want Hardwick or Hardwick's keen to go if there's a space. Is there another coach that we're not even thinking about? You know, Ken Hinckley spent some time there years ago, but 
All reports says he wants to stay at Port. Chris Scott's name's been mooted. I've heard that personally as well, but he's committed to Geelong, you'd think, and he's contracted and he's just won a premiership there. So we can throw all these darts at the dartboard all we want. But reality is, it's not like the Gold Coast have been rushed into the market. Like, you know, mm-hmm. there was pressure not so long ago on Michael Voss at Carlton and West Coast at Adam Simpson. Um, Carlton have gone on, I think, to win their last three at least, and they've got a game at Port at MCG this week where you'd think the way they're playing, they'll seriously push them. Um, West Coast is still in terrible shape, but it's not like the only other competitor is Richmond who Harvick walked away from. So they didn't need to rush as quick, but clearly they want to get moving. They want to get the best person available. They feel that six years is long enough to turn around this club. But let's face it, Dewey inherited them at the bottom. Not on the bottom, but 15th or 16th. Um, they'd shed players. They were trying to rebuild a new culture. Um, but reality is, um, this game is all about performance and winning games of football. And they haven't done that consistently enough. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a high-performance environment. And as harsh as it is, uh, we shouldn't be shocked by these kind of mid-season decisions. I don't like the way it happened. I hate it when... Uh, this information gets kind of leaked out via the media. It's nothing on the media, as, mate, we've both been in this space. Um, Journos do their jobs and they do it really well, particularly Caro. But the fact that there's, uh, you know, someone or multiple people internally white anting, uh, it's not not great for the for the culture of the place. But you, you, you talked about some of the dynamics with the other coaches and other clubs. What about Richmond? Where are they at? Uh, in this process and maybe how does this uh, kind of change the dynamic? Well, I think this only changes the dynamic if, for example, Alice, um, I'm thinking Alistair Clarkson is coming back soon, but to Damien Hardwick, if Damien Hardwick says, I'm having 12 months off, I'm not coaching, I'll have 2024 off, then that speeds up the process for Gold Coast and you can understand, well, hang on, they need to get moving because there's a bit of a competition here. There's Richmond who's got Lots of money, big resources, a list which I think can play finals next year if they don't have so many injuries, um, up against a young, talented list who's got some of their best young players coming into restricted free agency last year, uh, next year in Lacocious and King. So you can understand the movement there, but it's an interesting, it's an interesting one. Where's Richmond at? I can tell you right now, they are working the phones. They're sounding out people. And my understanding is the people are being sounded out, are being sounded out. One name was mentioned to them was Josh Carr. Mm-hmm. And, a, and an in-depth discussion was had with Josh Carr. Uh, not with Josh Carr, um, with this person about Josh Carr. So clearly Josh's reputation as a player, premiership player, played at Fremantle and Port Adelaide, um, is brilliant. He's done the coaching yards and he's done the hard coaching yards. He was at Port Adelaide. He was effectively not pushed out, but, you know, it was given, gone from being an assistant coach to, hey, you can be a development coach at the Port Maggies. He took he took the option and said, you know what, actually, I'm going to go and coach North Adelaide. I'm going to coach my own team and my own program. And then I think in 2018, won the local sample premiership. So he's coached his own success. From there, he's gone and spent four years at Fremantle as an assistant coach under Justin Longmuir. Um, he left last year. Fremantle's midfield has dropped off this year. I know it's not as easy as you say that, but... If you combine that with he joined Port Adelaide this year, who were really poor in the first three rounds of the season, Zach Butters has publicly thanked him for saying thanks to Josh who's pushed me hard to go into the midfield. Um, his stocks are as high as you'll get. So he, he's come out, he's gone to, you know, he's coached at North Adelaide, had success, gone to Fremantle, they've gone really well and improved a young developing list. He's left Fremantle, they're struggling. I don't know, it's not as simple as this. But he goes straight to Port Adelaide. Port Adelaide now won 13 on the trot and is sitting equal top of the ladder, only second on percentage, um, and has re-revolutionised their midfield. And it's not just him, but when you're the midfield coach, you get pretty well control of who you want in there at the time um, and you report to the senior coach. So uh, I can say that um, senior official at Richmond is working the phones, has called people who are based in Adelaide, who know Josh really well and are sounding him out. So clearly he's on their hit list, someone to speak to. And if you and, and I think also, too, I, I heard Benny Gale, the um, CEO for Richmond, quoted saying, we want the next Damien Hardwick. 
And when he said the next time you're in Hardwick, he doesn't mean a three-time premiership coach. He means someone who's well-credentialed, come from success, is a student of the game, and they need to go on the next journey with them. Because the next Richmond journey is, yes, they could probably play finals for the next bit, but their senior players, Dustin Martin's getting towards retirement, probably Cochin and Rewalt retire at the end of the year. So someone who's going to have to come in and make some tough decisions, which Josh clearly doesn't, um, isn't concerned about, um, and as a history of making, as a player, he was hard and tough. He just calls it as he sees it. Um, and, and he'd be a welcome addition if they went down that road. Um, but you look at Andrew McWalter, the former Saint. Um, he's the interim coach. Well, he's won four from six since taking over from Damien Hardwick. They're probably playing a bit better football. Their team looks like it's been invigorated a little bit. Um, and he's in the chair as that person. So it's very rare. There aren't a huge amount of times when the um, caretaker coach gets the job. But for me, they're two people that clearly you'd look at straight away. And if there was someone in the senior ranks that you thought deserved a second chance, you don't need to look too much further than a former Richmond assistant, premiership assistant, Justin Lepich, who was a senior coach at Brisbane, but in a tough time when Brisbane was struggling for finances. Um, and that didn't end so well. And now he's at Collingwood as effectively... Uh, is a special role, but he, he's, he's the person in the box with the other assistants that um, helped Craig McRae. And if you also look at where he's gone, he's come on, what have Collingwood done? They've been really, really good. Don't get me wrong, Craig McRae's a really good coach, but Justin Lepich's brand has certainly not been hurt by the fact that he was sacked at Brisbane with no resources. He's then had success where he's been on two occasions at Richmond. Um, and now they're doing really well at Collingwood. So for me, they're, they're three that you clearly want to talk to, at least ask the question. But there's been a lot more. You'd also go and speak to the Adam Uzos of the world, maybe even Troy Chaplin, who's well regarded at Melbourne. But for me, and with my Port Adelaide hat on, and there's word around Ken potentially signing a two-year extension at Port, I think it would be terrible if Port get to a stage where their coaching group is settled you keep the senior coach and the guy that's come in and really changed up a lot of the stuff ends up leaving to go to another club. Yeah, so that is a really interesting situation then for Port Adelaide. As you say, to sign the senior guy and miss out on someone that could really lead the long-term future of the club. Is that a, is that a, a big issue that you think the club would be weighing up at this point in time? Well, I think in knowing some of the people on the board, and, and I, hand on my heart, haven't spoken to anyone for quite some time. Um, since the start of the year, I threw a few hand grenades. Um, and when I say hand grenades, they were just my thoughts, what things I think needed to change. I, I have an idea that could get you out of it. And if they're adamant that Ken is the bloke, and they're playing really well, um, Ken's coaching from the bench. We've seen all the things that have changed since round three. And the club's won 13 straight. So the players are playing at their optimum. Would you, as a board member, and if I was involved and Ken is your man to coach for the next two years, for example, you put in a succession plan if you believe Josh Carr is the best person to take over. So we've seen it in the past, Malthouse and Buckley. Buckley was a pretty successful coach without the ultimate. He lost the grand final by a kick. He had to turn over a whole list. We remember the old Rat Pack. He had to move on senior players who were premiership players at the time. Went back down the ladder, come back up, and then obviously after 10 years didn't quite get there and, and, and moved on. But would Port Adelaide think about entertaining a two-year reign for Ken Hinckley and it's a two-year full stop? Um, and then it would be a Josh Carr three years after that? I don't know. That's something they would have to look at. I know Rob Snowden, who's a... Um, former football manager is a deal doer and gets stuff done and um, has previously managed some assistant coaches uh, uh, many years ago. But I think one of those was Josh Carr and a few others. But um, he's now not doing any of that because he's on Port Adelaide's board. But these would be all the things you have on the whiteboard to say, okay, where are we going to be? Where does our... Because they do list management looking forward. I'm sure they do coaches looking forward. Mm. And, and, and right now... Um, if you looked at the Port Adelaide supporter group and they go, hey, we've had all these changes, cars come in, the midfield's going really well, Ken's coaching from the bench, it's going really well, they won 13 straight. If you lose one of those key pillars, people are going, what's going on? Mm. But if you're a person like a Josh Carr and you see that, hey, I've done five years, I think, as an assistant coach, I've coached my own team, um, 
as a senior coach, I think for three or four years in the sample, a few years before that as an assistant coach at Port Adelaide. So you're a 10-year coach. If now this is the time to strike, um, Port could well would be without their assistant coach. If Richmond and or whoever deem he's the person and he goes through a process and wins the gig, it, it'd be a terrible situation because Port's had a history of losing him. Mm. And it goes back to my time. You know, Phil Walsh left Port to go to coach uh, the Crows. Alastair Clarkson left in our 2004 finals to go win the job at Hawthorne. Um, Dean Bailey, the late Dean Bailey, um, left in 2007 to coach Melbourne. Uh, there's been numerous guys that have left the setup to get senior jobs. And, and I think if it worked out that way, it, it certainly wouldn't be on Port's ideal setup. Mm. I mean, on that, Gosh, it's it's pretty fascinating the amount of senior leaders that have come out of that Port Adelaide era. And, you know, now there's Carr in the mix. We've talked about Jew. I mean, he's obviously on his way out. Um, and then you've got Hardwick and then all the others that you've talk, talked about, Phil Walsh and the like. Yeah. What was it about that era, do you think, that has grown so many prominent top-of-the-line AFL leaders? I think it's the process that Mark Williams put in. He's a teacher, qualified teacher at heart. Um, he's still teaching now and coaching at Melbourne, if I mean, yeah. Well, I don't say actually as a teacher, but his job, part of his coaching is teaching. Um, so I think he, he, he created that environment. Um, Phil Walsh was a teacher who came in. Um, a lot of the guys were uh, teacher-based um, who became coaches, obviously, playing football. So that was the environment. And if you look at some of the names, and, and I always miss a few, but in the system at the moment, you know, bar, say, 11.30, if Stuart Jew's supposedly being sacked publicly, but it's clearly happened overnight at a board meeting. Um, Jew is a senior coach. Um, Schofield assistant, Brendan Laid assistant, uh, Adam Kingsley senior coach, Matthew Primus, a former senior coach and still coaching um, in the NEFL up at, um, on the Gold Coast. Um, yeah, you keep you keep going. Um, Dean Brogan was an assistant coach. Now he's back in business, but still coaching football. Jacob Surgeon is an assist uh, senior coach at North Adelaide locally. Um, you forget them. There's that many guys. Josh Marnie was an assistant coach. Now he's a football manager, first at Melbourne, now at Essendon, and Essendon doing really well. So you can keep you know, just looking at how this works, and I think it comes back to the system that you're a part of and the system you've grown in, and also, too, when Damien Hardwick was another one you mentioned, Alistair Clarkson, um, is that when you win a premiership, your name comes up in lights. Hmm. Because ultimately, they want someone who's experienced premierships. And you look at what Damien Hardwick did. He went at Essendon, played at, I think, North Melbourne Junior, Essendon, won a premiership, came to Port Adelaide when they had salary cap problems. We had two years of falling short, then won a premiership. He retired, went to um, Hawthorne with Alastair Clarkson. They won the 2008 premiership. He then went to Richmond. You know, it looked like he was going to be sacked, got his last chance, and then all of a sudden wins three premierships in four years. So, um yeah, it's all about the, the system you're a part of and the, the learning system you're a part of. And, and Mark uh, willingly and um, has still mentored them to this day. But while they were playing, he was getting senior players to start doing edits and coaching younger players so that they were getting experience into doing that uh, all the way through. Well, he's a new AFL Hall of Famer and rightly so. And I think, uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people probably underestimate the, the system that he created back then. So it's pretty incredible but uh now traders i want to jump across to the ashes it's all happening over in england uh the pommies won the third test series delicately poised with australia 2-1 up how do you see it mate well it's bloody entertaining that's what it is i went to bed and i think we're about you know the poms had 30 to get and i thought oh well we're cooked so uh, I, I threw my toys out the cot hopped into bed and then uh, slept it away as a loser so um, England win the second test. They could have easily have won either of the, the first two as well because it has been so close. As we say, it's delicately poised, but with the Aussies 2-1 up, Alex Carey's become public enemy um, number one in England. People accusing him now of not paying for a haircut, and that came out from Alastair Cook. And if you're a former player, and this is from my advice to Alastair Cook, if you're a former player, right, and then you go into the commentary box, you want to check your sources are right. Apparently it was a total mistaken identity of the bizarre barber story um 
But it, it's become a sideshow, and I think this the return leg in probably eighteen months' time to two years' time will be it'll be brilliant here in Australia because yeah, the, the, there's so much going on. The Poms are calling it poetic justice. The Aussies have. Um, the ICC has also considered taking 13 World Test Championship points off the Aussies for slow over rates. So not only does it get worse that we lost, we're getting pinged some points, um, but they're also going to be punishing England. Um, and, and, yeah, and let's face it, you know, whilst it's three tests in, we've actually played the World Test Championship. So it's good. by the end of the five tests, including the, and on top of that, a sixth test, the World Test Championship, I think the boys will be looking forward to coming home. But hopefully not before we actually decide to pitch the ball up and not bowl short barrages at people's head because it's pretty hard to get wickets doing that. Oh, I was yelling at the TV with that, that approach to bowling. It was really pissing me off, to be honest. The other one was, the other thing that was bugging me and a lot of other people was the camera work. I mean, we, brought, we got a lot of mates as cameramen treaders, so we've got to be careful here. We're going to be getting a few phone calls after this. But, they're a different breed, though. But well, they, they are a different breed. Cameraman, they're like goal umpires. You know, they're a little bit weird. So, <laughs> so <laughs> sorry, Caleb Sutherland. We love you, mate. Um, no, but the camera work was pretty rough. Uh, surely we can expect better broadcasting standards. Like they were missing catches and all sorts. Yeah, well, I love the um, uh, when the English uh, skipper got got caught out. He played the, the left-hander with the big hook, so the camera went sort of left the screen really quick, thinking it might be for six, and he got caught at point, so I had to turn right. Oh, there it is. But uh, is that the camera work? Yeah. But how many cameras they got at the ground? This is the bit, after you know, being in a privileged position many years ago with TV, you, you go and look behind, and they've probably got 10 cameras at the ground, maybe even more. Then they obviously got the ICC, have got the super slow-mo cameras and all that technology that's around um, challenging for the wickets. Um, but I think it's probably just producer mishaps. Yeah. You know, yes, they've gone to a certain camera, but they've just, you know, they've pressed the wrong camera button to play because then the end you'll see, and as soon as you see the movement from the camera, that says to me that the camera's, cameraman's lost where it is. Um and the producers uh, had a clanger. But, you know, we, we must admit, though, it's not just an English thing. It's an Australian thing. And this is where it was interesting. I think we spoke about it on the big deal. The um, the T20 um, final here in the local league last year, um, Foxtel were calling from a studio in Melbourne. And the game was in Perth. Well, Channel 7 was in Perth. And Foxtel called, oh, it's six, it's out of here. Whereas Channel 7 who were at the ground, because the, the vision wasn't clear, mm. like the cameraman couldn't catch catch up to where the ball went, whereas Channel 7 said, oh, no, he's out. So they caught on the boundary. Mm. So Foxtel was identified for, obviously, calling it from a studio and was caught out simply because their cameras didn't catch up with the game. So it, it's going to happen. Yeah. And the more and more TV networks choose to do that stuff remotely, you're going to get caught out. And I'm not, not saying that in this instance it's remotely, um, cameras are certainly there but yeah there's the element of getting the filming right and then there's the element of commentary with the pitches and all it takes is for a technical glitch and you lose all of yeah. it but one thing like on that like one thing that constantly surprises me is how broadcasting of sport hasn't really evolved much over the years it's actually very cheap production all things considered they haven't advanced much in terms of the quality and the graphics. Like, man, like, like the, the graphics at the cricket have been the same for years. Everything about it, like they, they run it pretty cheap. Uh, so I do think that, and, and you're right, like by having commentators not at the stadium and cutting costs, I think it's, it is impacting the product. And, and I think it's counterintuitive because as we've talked about a lot in the big deal, uh, on the big deal, Live sport is the one thing that is keeping TV alive. Everyone is engaged with TV purely because of live sports. So I think it requires more investment. Yeah, and I think the biggest challenge is that they are putting more investment in, but it's not getting to the product. It's going to the whoever owns the rights. We see sports rights go through the roof, but we're not seeing, as you say, the production. You know, there's some elements, you know, some networks do that really, really well. But... Even the case now that um, with the Nine Network, um, 
Ray Warren not calling State of Origin, I think, for the first time in a while. People are like, oh, who's this bloke? He doesn't stand the state. But, you know, they've had this guy for 30-plus years, yeah. and he's he's been the voice of rugby league. It's the same with Bruce McAvaney. There was a soft disclosure changeover with, you know, the committee and McAvaney. It was like a staggered exit for both of those guys. So that I guess the... Um, the audience can just get used to the new voices and people working and integrating with them. So, but as you say, it's, it's difficult because they've got to try and get it to air as, as lean as possible um, without it affecting the product or, or minimal effect of the product because the broadcast licenses are so high and they're already making, you know, I, I still remember, I think when one TV network had the, the cricket and it was about $100 million for the cricket. This is a few years ago now, but they make a forty million dollar. They only um, they only make forty or fifty million dollars from it in revenue, and so that says they're losing about fifty million dollars just to have it. And as we say, that drives other content to you know other programming, advertising in there, and we've seen it for years. Channel Seven, then Nine with the tennis. Oh, yep. Make sure you're watching uh, Married at First Sight or MKR back on Channel Seven. That starts Monday. These are all cross promotes, you know, because there's so many eyeballs on it. But I think it's it is interesting, and we spoke to Andrew Petcash about this. Ninety three out of the top hundred broadcasted TV shows in America was live sport, so that tells you where it's at. And you know, people are picky. We we want the best, and to be honest, not many want to pay for it. Now we also saw an incredible Super Netball final with the Adelaide Thunderbirds uh, winning the league title for the first time in a decade with a pretty incredible overtime win against the Sydney Swifts. Sellout crowd, nine and a half thousand tickets sold. Uh, gosh, Coach Tanya Obbs has done an incredible job rebuilding that what was a basket case yeah. club, basket case club over the last four years. Yeah, they were rabble, let's be honest. And, you know, uh, I worked on it for a, a year or so when I was at nine. And, you know, they, they didn't win a game that year. I think they almost drew one and people were excited. So, yeah, where they've rebuilt, um, and Peter Malaskis, the uh, Labor um, Premier from South Australia, has actually bought the rights to next year's grand final, albeit a year too late. But they're now, as we're seeing, doing this because of their tourism events. You know, they're major events to bring people there. And as you say, 9,500 tickets sold. How many of those families travel from Sydney to watch the Swifts or from Adelaide to watch the Thunderbirds? And that was based in Melbourne with the sponsorship with the Victorian government after they said no to Gina Reinhart. So, yeah, Tanya Obst has done a wonderful job, done some wonderful recruiting. Um, you know, and, and despite all the admin problems and the finance problems that Nepal's faced, um, yeah, they're on the cusp of big success because memberships are up 20%. Um, you know, international broadcast views rose by 260%, percent should I say. Um, and as we said, the grand final, and obviously the South Australian government has paid for it to be in Adelaide next year. So it is all off the back of, all right, they need to get their CBA sorted. Um, they need to work out, they need another team to go in to replace Collingwood, who are pulling out of the league. So you've got enough games for TV. Um, and let's face it, grassroots netball, um, is one of the biggest participation sports in the country. So the foundation is there if they get, you know, the head of the beast sorted out. You know, the, the legs and feet and, and, and footing is great, but they're just going to get um, ha- how they commercialise it and um, make it so it's viable because the support is there. Young girls, and particularly families with young girls who play, certainly want to be there and they want to go. And it, it's a really good experience if you're an Apple fan. Mate, they've got they've got everything. As I as I keep banging on about, they've got everything. They've got the fans. They've got the participation. I actually think they've got sponsorship interest. If the, if the game has run well, the sponsors will be there. Women's sport is is on the rise massively. They've got international eyeballs. Like everything is there for growth. They just need to manage this thing, like on an okay level. Even if they got it fifty percent right, they would have a really great commercial product and be able, to be able to grow the game. So it's like, come on, guys. Let's just manage this sport well, please. But, but this is where it comes back to it. You can't just expect that, oh, yeah, if you expect us uh, sign our CBA, you can play for Australia. Decisions like that from a few weeks ago can't happen. 
You can't beat Hay. We've celebrated a wonderful grand final. Nine and a half thousand sellout crowd in Melbourne. You know, two teams from outside Melbourne competing. You go, wow, that's impressive. You know, huge grass uh, roots level um, participation. International viewing, staggering. And a lot of that's probably got to do with some of the um, yeah, international players, particularly English players playing in the Adelaide team have been brilliant. But the next piece of the puzzle can't happen. Why is it they don't have a CBA sorted? And there's 80, that's right, 80 Super League players uncontracted and up for grabs next year. It's a rabble. Hmm. That, that stuff's got to get sorted yesterday. Yeah. Now, speaking of things that need to get sorted yesterday, the, the NRL has massive problems with their CBA as well. They're just in a completely different world uh, from the Players Association. Uh, they're talking that a player strike is a real possibility. Well, they've pretty much already said that they came out in a bumbly press conference, and I get that the PA are standing up for their players. We don't know what's really going on behind the scenes as to who needs to do this, but clearly they're peeved off, right? They're miles apart in their new CBA negotiations. So they're called a media boycott. Well, if you want to get noticed, that's what you do. So the, the two people who have been hit hardest, particularly, are the Nine Network, right, and then Foxtel, who share the rights. So then you sit there and go from a player's point of view, yep, they're going to have to do this or that, and, you know, we're not going to make ourselves available certain days. They only spoke to me on Monday and Tuesday this week. But you go, it looks sooky. Surely there's better ways to do it. Surely you pull away from some of the activations. Surely you pull away from some of the other stuff. Yep, you could manage the media, but to say you're going to go on strike, like, if you're serious, refuse to play. Mm. If you're really serious and you think it's not good enough, refuse to play for a round. Mm. You'll soon get the NRL to the negotiation table. Yeah. But it, it's just this looks like a sookie-sookie-la-la situation. And... And come out and tell what you're not happy with. Tell why, you know, negotiations aren't going to do a tell-all story. Do it in the newspaper. Do it on a sit-down with the network and go, one of the networks who's involved in the sport, and go, this is why we're not doing it. This is why it's not hurting. But what they're trying to do is leverage the TV networks who pay a fortune and make a loss out of this, you know, broadcasting the sport to get them involved, to put pressure on, you know, the NRL headquarters. Hmm. So... Yeah, does that work? But I think the biggest bit is come out and be open and honest to what you're not happy with mm. because then people can go, hey, well, if cricket's got that rights for their players and AFL's got that rights for their players and even netball might have that rights for their players, hang on, why doesn't NRL get it? Yeah. You know, I know it's not an easy one because we often compare against American sport, mm. but I think the clarity with all this needs to come back and just be going, this is where we're at, these are our problems, yeah. and this is why we're not going to be on this, 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 and this. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Like I've, I've worked a lot with um, a number of the, the players associations in Australia. Like I love what they do. They play a vital role, particularly as the professionalism of all these sports continues to grow and the players' rights absolutely need to be protected. I think it is, it's worth pointing out that uh, pretty much all of these players' associations run really lean. So they don't have the enormous media departments that the leagues do. Um, so I think you're right, communication is a challenge. And, and the thing that I'm concerned about is clearly if they're considering a strike, they're in a desperate place. Like players want to play. Um, and strike is always a, a last resort. So things must be very desperate if they're at that point. The, the, the risk that they've got is, is when you strike or when you go down that path, you punish the fans and and when you punish the fans, you lose the fans. And, and as you say, like if the communication of, of what their, their problem is isn't quite there, if the fans don't really understand what's going on and why this is important, you lose them. And then all of a sudden, oh, now the players are greedy and they're ruining the game. They're killing the game. The NRL has their media departments. They can push out their message much stronger than the uh, associations. And then they're in a bit of strife, I think. Yeah. No, that's that's absolutely the case. And um, as we saw many years ago, and people will forget this, they go, how did online poker become a thing in America? It's because the NHL, the hockey, had a lockout. Mm. They had a lockout. They would have massive money. NHL goes, shit, how do we actually get 
how do, what are we going to broadcast? They come up with poker. Poker was cheaper. They put up big prize money. They put cameras under tables. People love gambling. All of a sudden, when the NHL comes back out, they don't get such a good deal next time round because um, poker's raiding its eyeballs away. Mm. So be careful what you wish for too. That's right. And that is the challenge and the delicate balance that they have to deal with every time. Now, traders, there's also been uh, some shifts or there's a looming shift coming to Australian Formula One leadership. What's going on there? Yeah, well, AFL Chief Financial Officer and Fixture Boss Travis Ald, who went for the CEO role at the AFL and missed out, um, has been chosen to be CEO of the Australian Grand Prix. So this one isn't a secret. It's been floating around for a few months now um, since uh, he missed out on the, uh, the top job. They went to Andrew Dillon. Um, he's going to take over from longtime boss Andrew Westacott. Meanwhile, Chairman Paul Little, a prominent business leader, he used to have toll holdings, um, may still have them, not sure, um, was Essendon's, actually, uh, briefly was Essendon's um, president for a period of time when they went through all that saga. So uh, reportedly he's going to step down as chairman uh, of the uh, organisation, so of the Australian Grand, uh, Grand Prix board. So plenty happening there in the F1 leadership. Um, it's amazing, isn't it? There's a lot of boards and everything that goes on and it's, it's a what? Four, four day event that shuts down Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a massive gig, doesn't it? Now, obviously, obviously, there's a lot of government based stuff and commercial stuff and all that, and it's a good gig and it's a international, effectively an international role based in Australia, which would be good for Travis Old, who was the original um, CEO of the Gold Coast Suns many years ago. Now, Travis, have you signed up for Threads, the new app? Yes, I have. Have you used it? Yeah. And I've been bitterly disappointed and I haven't used it. Disappointed? Oh, I just, yeah. Oh, I just, oh, I, I really like Twitter. So I did it because I've got Facebook and we put the big deal on Facebook and our own big deal page and my personal page. And yeah, I've got them all. Instagram, big deal Instagram, personal Twitter, big deal Twitter. So I thought I'll get on here and do threads. And for me, it looks like a poor man's Twitter. Yeah, mate, you and a you and a hundred million others have, have signed up in a week, so everyone's you know getting pretty excited because um, you know the enormous user adoption. I mean, for me, it's like okay, well, with the with the integration with Instagram and Facebook, they're always going to get um, big numbers. But it is it is really interesting for sport because obviously uh, Zuckerberg is trying to leverage the frustration that's out there with some organizations, media and users who don't like Elon, don't like the direction that he's taken Twitter and whatever else. Um, Obviously it remains to be seen whether all these hundred million users are actually going to translate to a level of uh, engagement that Twitter certainly has. But Twitter is the social media platform for sport. So people follow live sport and sports news through Twitter it's a primary source and companion uh, to watching broadcasts. Watching, what's interesting is like you think about it, over many years, clubs, players and organisations have invested years and huge amounts of resources that's come at a massive cost to build their followings and brands on Twitter. So while it's easy to say, I'm just going to go and sign up for threads, the the particularly the big clubs and organizations are going to be watching closely and they're not going to be super keen to jump and dump all their resources into threads too quickly, having spent and invested all of this effort on Twitter, particularly when Twitter is still the go-to place for sport on social media. Yeah, I agree. And and also to not only just sport, but it's also business and it's also news. Yeah, maybe not as much business, but if you want genuine news, like incidents that happen around the world, Twitter is big. Twitter is at your fingertips. You know, you've got your for, for you, you've got who you follow, you can hit flicks. And, and the reason off the back of this, the frustration is there was a restriction on how many refreshes on your page you can do. Um, so clearly, um, Meta and Facebook, Meta, which is fake parent company made it really easy to transition i've never seen a transition take the same profile pic yep 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 done all of a sudden you're done so um what i think too is going to happen and what i read is going to happen is that um 
Twitter now is pretty much going to go head to head with uh, YouTube. So soon you'll be able to upload significant videos. So for me, there's a real, real war going on behind the scenes for people's content. Um, and, it, and it's been reported many times. We can talk about the media dollar that everyone competes for. But I was told from a pretty good source many years ago, um, between 8 to 9 out of $10, so 80 to 90% of the money ends up in the pockets of Meta and ends up in the pockets of YouTube. Mm. So we can talk about all the TV networks and radio networks and everyone, but they're competing for a minor share because, you know, you look at what young kids are doing. They're on social media, they're on Snapchat, they're on YouTube. And my son, who's a mad fisherman and surf lifesaver, sits there and watches that stuff when he's downtime and he's not training. You know, how to tie a new hook, this sort of stuff. It's it's just all about different forms of content. And um, as we're seeing, the, the next piece of the puzzle is government are trying to put in Know, what content we're allowed to see, that's another level of censorship to what, what they're trying to mm. do too because it all comes back to money and, and, and forms of news and information control. Mm. Now, Treaders, what on earth has been going on with Paddy Mills in the uh, NBA free agency period? Well, he spent some years at San Antonio, then he finally left there and went to Brooklyn, got paid really well, but I don't think he's travelled as much in an off-season ever before. You know, he's been traded three times in 10 days. He's now an Atlanta Hawk, and that may still not be his final destination. So he's owed $6.8 million. That's his expiring contract. So, yeah, the poor bloke has been absolutely everywhere. So, um, yeah, so we're not sure where, where he's going to end up and whether he gets bought out. Don't know. Don't know. But, you know, his good mate Joe Ingalls got $22 million for a two-year deal. Um Hopefully, Paddy will, will stay in the system because he's such a good a role player and shooter off the bench. But, um, yeah, is that going to be his final destination, Atlanta, after spending some time uh, over a few hours or days anyway at um, Oklahoma with the other Aussies? But, yeah, it, it's it's unbelievable how they can just shop you. You are just a piece of meat and you get flicked around. Whoever, you know, whatever billionaire decides to keep you on board and, and let you shoot, shoot a basketball through a hoop for his team. Yeah. And meanwhile, Boomer's gun, Matisse Thibel, is staying with Portland, at least for now. Um, the Dallas Mavericks actually offered it, uh, put an offer to him. He's a restricted free agent uh, that could have brought him to Texas. But Portland matched the deal. So Mavs had offered him a three-year US $33 million offer, which is pretty tasty, uh, with an $11.5 million player option in the final year. But it was matched. So it looks like he's going to be staying put with Portland. Yeah, and he's not the only one. Greg Popovich, the uh, superstar uh, manager, oh, not manager, I'm using soccer terms now, coach, um, has signed a five-year extension at San Antonio. You know, and so far, the Spurs in the off-seasons have dominated. They've got the NBA lottery pick. You know, they're selling 2,500 season tickets a day. As we say, they drafted the number one player. Um, when... Bam Yama, I finally get used to saying that. Um, finalised plans for a new $550 million redevelopment, their headquarters, plus the coach's deal. It, it's significant cash. Um, and good on him. He's, Greg Popovich has been a superstar. Gets a bit angry, old Pop. But, um, yeah, his new deal, I think it's in the, in the vicinity of about $16 million US a year. Yeah, wow. It's not too, not too bad if you can get it. Now, you know I love a little bit of NBA drama, so I'll just quickly throw in that there's a bit of a there was a bit of argy bargy going on between Britney Spears and the new <laughs> the new number one pick, Wembanyama. Um, she apparently tried to grab him, and security got heavy handed. Now there's this war of words where Britney wasn't happy because she got pushed around, and but apparently Britney was fangirling it, and uh, just sort of throw that in. You don't have to comment, Treaders. We can just move on if you like. I've seen the vision. Have you? What did you think? I saw the vision. It just looked like two monstrosity of people walking along. So it was Victor and his his posse and some big security blokes. And this little blonde girl's just chasing him. And effectively, he puts his arm out to stop her from getting closer. Just a so, don't argue. I'm glad you enjoyed that moment. Yeah. Yeah, not even a don't argue. It was just a little bit just a, hey, just shepherd, stay back there. Nothing really physical from what I saw. Certainly match review panel would... Even the match review panel would swap that one away. Sure, so, no, nothing to see. Wow. Okay. 
Well, yeah, there's no head-eye contact, so. Fair enough. Now, I don't know if you've seen the uh, the new stadium in Vegas. It's insane. So it's not officially open until September. Uh, cost about 3.6 bill to build. Like Vegas, they don't mind spending cash and being flashy and, and kind of this is next level. So it's the uh, MSG Sphere It's turned on this weekend. It's covered in LED screens. So it's super cool. They're, they're putting up a whole range of displays at the moment. The really cool one, I'm going to put some some pics in the um, in the Substack notes. This like basketball LED that's dominating Vegas at the moment, like it's wild. It, it honestly, sporting venues are just going to another level, and, and this is really going to push things even further. Yeah, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Three point six billion dollars. That, that's the bit that I get, and I look at it and go, "How big is it?" I think it only holds twenty odd yeah, thousand people. It's not it? big. Like it's. No, it's not a huge, um, you know, 250-foot um, LED screens. Like, that's just out of this world. Um, and it's officially going to open on September 29, U2 playing a series of 25 concerts. So when music enters sport, enters new venues, it's going to be hot. And if you're there, like, whatever you do, whatever happens in Vegas should stay in Vegas. doesn't always happen that way, but... Um, when you've got a situation like this, when you can go along to a place like that and go, wow. I know many years ago I went and stayed at the Louvre and I thought, wow, that's the cool. I stayed in the Pyramid Place. It wasn't great looking out the windows because you had to lean back because of the screen. Yeah, uh, The windows were that way. But you, you look back and go, that's just a cool stadium. But soon there'll be something even better. It won't take long. Yeah, that's right. Now, some great news for Matilda's gun, Hayley Rasso, who's the first Aussie to join Spanish giants Real Madrid. So only four Aussie men have ever played uh, for the Spanish top flight. That was Vidi, Aurelio Vidmar, John Aloisi, Matthew Ryan, and Mabil as well. Um, but none for the country's two giants, which was uh, Real Madrid or FC Barcelona. So that's very cool. She's the first Aussie to do that. Now, Treaders, we've also seen that uh, new Tottenham boss and former Socceroos coach Ange Postacoglu has spoken out, done his first presser. What did you pick up from it? Oh, well, I think he's, as always with Ange, he's just going to do it his way. Um, he, he doesn't mess around. He's, he's, his press conference is, uh, should I say, better than Mick Mulhouse and Ross Lyons. Ross Lyons could be really entertaining at times. Mick Mulhouse got a bit grumpy at times. Um, but Ange will always, you know, he, he'll answer a question respectfully. If he thinks it's a genuinely thought-out question, he'll quickly dismiss when he doesn't. But as he said, he's going to place to do things differently and do it his way. He said he hasn't spoken to their captain and star striker, Harry Kane, about his future. Harry Kane is trying to get, at this stage, it looks like Bayern Munich. Um, Harry Kane hasn't won any trophies while he's been at Tottenham, and I don't say that because I'm an Arsenal fan, but that's a fact. If he ends up going to Bayern Munich, I think they won their last 13 leagues. So, um, But the thing is, that he said he wants him to remain... Um, and he'll be back in town next week. Spurs take on West Ham in a pre-season friendly in Perth on Tuesday. So I'm not sure Harry Kane, he'll have to travel. That's part of his deal, but I'm not sure he'll play. He may only play a small part because if you are, and if Spurs by Daniel Levy, who is effectively their transfer boss and, and they're, they're one of their owners, um, they say, no, he's not on the market, then he's going to have to prepare for the season. So if he is on the market, you, you'll get a quick quick idea of whether he actually is, they are looking for a sale because he's only got 12 months to go on a deal and then he's a Bosman free transfer so he can go anywhere he wants and effectively in six months' time he can sign at any club he wants and that would generally mean a huge bump in salary because they won't be paying a transfer fee at the end of the year. But most would say cash in on him now. They put a price of $100 million on his head, pounds that is, um, but yeah, the offer from Bayern hasn't been anywhere near that, they're suggesting. So, yeah, interesting times and Ange you know, gets to come home um, to start his job, which is overseas, which is pretty exciting. But the Premier League um, is just gone crazy. Chelsea continue to clear out the closet. 11 players are now out the door. Most have gone to um, Saudi Arabia. Um, Kul Bali, who's a great defender they got from Italy, he lasted a year. Mendy has uh, gone there as well. N'Golo Kante, who is um, the defensive midfielder with when uh, France won the World Cup and one of Chelsea's best players but had a lot of injuries, have effectively 
doubled their bank accounts some more to mm. go there. Arsenal spent 115 million on Havertz from um, Chelsea. Mason Mount's gone to United for 105 million Aussie, and Kovacic has gone to uh, Manchester City. So it, it seems as if, and a lot of people are questioning around this motive, is that the owner of Chelsea has got links and business dealings with Saudi Arabia. Because they spent so much money last year, they're talking about financial fair play. So you can only spend a certain percentage on players of your revenues. These guys are being flicked off for pretty good fees, not only to Saudi Arabia's, but some are accusing it of a bit of money washing. And they're not illegal money washing for the world, but in terms of to get them out of financial fair play. So selling players who are on the fringe or good players for probably overvalue, particularly to the teams in Saudi. Uh, in return for clearing the decks and the Saudi league getting world-class players in, which we we thought could happen once Ronaldo uh, joined. Mm. Yeah, that could be tough for Chelsea fans because there's not going to be a uh, whole lot of cohesion on the park with a with a whole new squad trying to make it all work together. So could be could be pretty tough. But Treaders, the uh, there's a lot going on in sport. Obviously, we have got Wimbledon going on. We saw the curfew impact. Novak Djokovic's game. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Um, and this is a guy who's already this year, he's got 23 Grand Slams. He's this year already won the Australian Open and the French Open. He's going for the third. He's potentially going for the Grand Slam if he can get the last two, the US Open and Wimbledon. But tennis fans, understandably, are fuming after his round of 16 match was stopped. 11pm curfew. This was introduced in 2009. And it continues to cause issues. And it's always going to continue to cause issues too because the darkness, right, in England, and also there's lots of rain. There's always rained out days and, and that it just gets them behind schedule because they have to finish within two weeks. So, you know, fans were hoping to see a full Djokovic match. They've been disappointed. Um, and quite literally... Um, early in the day, they were hoping to sort of avoid disruptions later on the evening. But... Yeah, they call for the centre court matches to start earlier. It makes sense. Mm. You know, it, it, for players, you know, you look at the Australian Open, for example, some of those games have finished at one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning sometimes. And that was five setters that, you know, you might have a night event where you've got three games back to back and they've all gone three and a half hours. That's what can happen. So common sense needs to prevail, particularly when you've only got one roof mm. and that's on centre court. And if light's not going to be a good issue, put some lights in or do something better because yeah. <laughs> it's just not, you know, I, I get this history, but there's also going to be a bit of professionalism here too and, and moving with the times. That's right. And Novak did go on to win and uh, he plays his quarterfinal tonight. All right. I think that concludes our wrap. There's been a stack going on, a bit of a longer one today. We've had plenty to talk about, particularly with all of the, uh, the shake-up with AFL coaching as usual. Remember, you can get the notes from this chat when you subscribe for free at www.deal.au. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Big Deal. Before you go, don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals, breaking sports biz news as it happens and much more. Join me at www.thebigdeal.au.